0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament. Um, we're also going to be kind of jumping around all over the place throughout, throughout Psalms, so um, you're welcome to jump around with us in your Bibles. Or just a reminder, if you've got your smartphones with you, you can go on the Bible app, And look up our UVersion events, and every single one of the scriptures that we're gonna be talking about this morning are all right there in order for you in our app, or in the on the event on the UVersion app. Uh, Just to catch you up, if you've missed any of the last couple weeks, or if you simply need a refresher from week to week like me, here we go. This is week three of our Songs We Sing series, where we've been talking about what worship is and what worship is not. And so far we've answered the questions: what is worship? And then last week, we talked about who or what should we worship. We talked about how worship is our response to God because of what he's done in our lives in the past, what he's currently doing in our lives, and what he's going to do in the future. And then we also learned that everybody worships something, so we need to be aware of what it is that's pulling our hearts away from God and be intentional about setting our hearts and our minds on him. So this week, we have another question that we're going to be answering. And that question is this, when should I worship? And I'll give you the short version right here. The answer to that question is all the time. Sermon done. We can all go home. And we can tell Zane that I have the record for shortest sermon now. <laughs> no, we're going to keep going. Um, I know that that seems like a really easy thing. Like we probably know deep down inside that we should worship God all the time. But in reality, it's not that easy. It's easier said than done. And I want to give you a few examples of that. You see, I think it's easier to give God our worship when things are going well in our lives. Would you guys agree with that statement? When things are going well in our lives, generally, it's easier to praise God for the good things that he's doing because things are good. It's just common sense. We're happier when things in our lives are going the way that we think they should, It's easier to praise God and thank him for what he's doing in our lives when things are all sunshine and rainbows. Psalms is probably the the greatest collection of songs, poems, and prayers ever assembled. And Psalms is quoted in the New Testament more than any other book. King David wrote the majority of the Psalms. And as I was kind of looking in my Bible, one of the things that it has at the beginning is just this little introduction to the book. And as I was reading through that, preparing for the sermon, I was struck by a few of the words, so I wanted to read those for you. This is what it says, describing Psalms. These are not sanitized Sunday school poems or the prayers of well-behaved people who had all their picture frames level. These are the honest heart cries of abandoned Hunted and train wrecked people, and prayers of triumph and worship, too. There are three types of prayers in the Psalms they are help, thanks, and awesome. So, God, help me. God, thank you for everything you've done in our lives. And, God, you are awesome. And the thing I love about Psalms is as you read through, you kind of see like two sides. You see a lot of psalms that are exactly what we just talked about. Like, God, thank you for all of the great things that you're doing in my life. We praise your name for the way that you've delivered us. You are an awesome God. And then you flip the page, and all of a sudden, on the other hand, it's like, God, why is this happening? Like, the exact opposite. But you see both sides of the coin. We can praise God when things are going good, but what happens when things are not so great? David was one of the people that wrote a lot of the Psalms, and his life was kind of a roller coaster at times. He experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. He was chosen by God to be king of Israel at a young age. When he was a shepherd, he killed lions and bears to protect his sheep. He slayed the giant Goliath with a sling and a stone. He was described as a mighty warrior that delivered Israel from many enemies. And he was also called a man after God's own heart. Those are all pretty cool things, right? David had a lot of things to praise God for, which is why he was able to write things like we see in this psalm, Psalm 145. It says, a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Now, if you were here for our Jonah series, those words should sound really familiar with you because if you remember at the end of Jonah, he said those exact same words, and this is what he was quoting. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He shows compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord. And your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the, majestic, the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. Now I want to give you some homework here. I want to encourage you, this, that was Psalm 145. Go ahead and put a bookmark in your Bible, and here's your homework for the week. I want you to go back through that psalm and just pay attention to the action words. And there are kind of two types of actions that I want you to look out for. The first one are the action words of the people, the action words that, that it says we are supposed to do. You'll find words like exalt, exalt, and praise and proclaim. And pay attention to those, and if you like to mark up your Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and underline all of the action words in that psalm. So the first type of action word to look for is the ones that the, that the people are doing, that the author of the psalm says that he's doing. Like, I exalt your name, I proclaim you, and things like that. Then I also want you to take special note of the actions that God is doing. And the reasons why the people are proclaiming and exalting. So two types of actions to look out for. I don't have time today to lay out every single one of those, but I want to encourage you throughout this week to do a little homework and dig a little bit deeper. I want to read another psalm for you, and this is one that Becky read this morning, but I like it for a lot of the same reasons. This is Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Now, there's some similarities between the two psalms that I just read. But the thing that I love about these psalms is the the same thing that Becky mentioned. Sometimes we just need a reminder of what God has done in our lives. And I love that in that psalm specifically, it gives us some things that we can do in response. Sing to the Lord. Those songs that we sang this morning, especially in that melody, all of them were focused on praising God's name. And sometimes we just need that little reminder Maybe for you, like Becky, she said that all those songs that she learned were like on a bus, on the way to church camp. And I know when I think back upon my life, there are things that stick with me that I can look back on and be reminded of everything that God has done for me. And nine times out of ten, those memories, those things that I can look back on are all tied to music in some way. And I love that God gives us music as a part of our worship because one of the things that music does is it it plays to our emotions a little bit. We can feel music. But the other thing that I love about it, and you see this a lot when working with little kids, is it's so much easier to memorize something when you put it to words. That's why, like, in preschool, my son Aiden just went through preschool, and everything that they taught them was in song, and he would come home singing all these different songs Um, Tunes are easy for our brains to remember. And if you put words to these tunes, then the words will stick with us longer than if we would just try and memorize them off a page. John was telling me the other day that um, there's an app that you still listen to, I think you said, um, in the car where it's literally just singing scripture to music. So they took scripture and just put it to music as a tool for people to be able to remember it and memorize it better. Sometimes we just need... To remember, and I love that we have the opportunity to do that through song, which is one of the reasons why we do that every week here at the Ten Fifteen. Those psalms that we just read are two different types of song psalms. One of them is called a psalm of thanks that were Thanksgiving, and one of them is called a psalm of praise. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's, it can be a lot easier to praise God when things are going well. You look at the things that, that David listed in those two Psalms, and it was praising God for the things that he's done, for the way that he was delivered, for the good things that are happening in his life. And it's really easy to be able to praise God when things are going good, and we can say prayers like, God, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need, that our family is experiencing good health, that all of our possessions are in working order, and that the weather outside is beautiful. And those are all very fitting things to say to God. Like, he wants us to give him thanks because of the good things that he's doing in our lives. He wants us to to thank him for the beauty of creation and the weather that we're experiencing. He wants us to give him the glory and honor for all of those things. But I think there's a danger that we need to be reminded of, too. And the caution here is that our worship and praise to God should not be dependent on whether we are experiencing good times or trying times. You see, if our worship and praise is dependent on our circumstances, then we can fall into the trap of thinking that God only cares about us when things are going well. Or we can fall into the trap of thinking that God only loves us when we're following him the way he asks us to. Because that's not true. God cares about us all the time. God's love for us is not dependent on how we act. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for us is not dependent on our actions or our behavior. He loves us all the time. And because of that, our worship should not be dependent on our circumstances. We don't praise God in order to get good things from him. We praise God because he is the good thing. He is the one true God and he alone is worthy of our praise. We praise God because he is God and we are not. And it's easy to do that when things are going well, but in reality it gets much harder to praise God when things take a turn for the worst. I want to share a couple personal examples of that from my life. I say this all the time, kind of joking around, but I do believe this is true. I think that God has given me specifically children so that I can learn all of the lessons that I failed to learn when I was their age. And I use my kids a lot in sermon illustrations, mainly AJ. So AJ, my son Aiden, he's probably a lot like most kids his age. He absolutely loves to play with his toys. And when he's done playing, like I'll walk upstairs and just, it's like a tornado or a hurricane hit the room. Instead of like digging through a toy box to find the one toy that he wants to play with, he takes the whole toy box and dumps it on the floor and then finds the one that he wants and runs away in place. So his play always ends with a giant mess, and Aiden is notorious in our house for his disdain for cleaning. Like I don't know if you have kids like this or maybe you were that kid, but when we say, okay, it's time to clean up, all of a sudden, oh, I'm tired. I just need a rest. I need a snack to give me energy to be able to, and excuse after excuse after excuse. And I think that for him, he loves to play and he loves to make the mess. But when it comes to cleaning up the mess, that's where the issue starts because it's work. It's hard. It's a lot easier to play and have fun than it is to clean up. Cleaning up is not fun. And I use that example because it's, it's kind of funny, but I think that it's a good example for us to remember as well. Life doesn't magically become unfair because I asked him to clean a room. Megan and I don't love him any less like he thinks because we asked him to clean a room. His life is not literally ending because we asked him to clean a room. And this may f- seem a little overdramatic, but the concepts ring true for us today. It's easier to make the mess than it is to clean it up, and it's easier to worship when things are going well in our lives. But when things get hard, what happens? The last time I experienced this was in 2020 during covid I wasn't here in Scotts Bluff at Westway during that time, but I was in ministry at that time. And a lot of the things that I heard that the leadership at Westway was having to think about are the exact same things that we were having to think about at the church that I was at. And I can tell you, like, there were a lot of things that I was not expecting. Like, I don't know that anyone was expecting anything necessarily that happened. But in ministry, it seemed like overnight, it was like, okay, what now? And I was in student ministry at the time, and I found out really quickly that you cannot p- play nine square on Zoom. You can't play dodgeball on Zoom. So I, like many other people, was trying to figure out what are we going to do next? You can only do th- so much through Zoom. And I know, like, I suffered through this, and my students did as well. They were doing schoolwork through Zoom, and on that app for Like almost all day. And then when it came Wednesday night, when we had our our student group meeting, the last thing they wanted to do was log into Zoom on their computers again because they had Zoom fatigue. They were doing church on Zoom, school on Zoom, and communicating with their friends only in that way. And it was hard. And I'll be honest with you like, ministry can be hard in general. I always say that the best thing about ministry is the people, and the worst thing about ministry is the people like it can be hard because we're dealing with people every single day and I know that I can be the reason that that is hard because I'm human and I fail. And ministry's hard in general, but that was probably the hardest season of ministry that I've experienced up until this point. And even when we started meeting together again in person, there were hard things happening. There were people on all opposite sides of a lot of issues. Should we wear a mask? Should we not wear a mask? Should we get the vaccine? Should we not get the vaccine? Should we go back to meeting in person, or should we keep meeting online? The list goes on and on. And as a part of church leadership, there was definitely tension that we felt. Because no matter what the leadership decided, there was always somebody that was unhappy. Churches all over the U.S. were dealing with the same issues, and pastors were experiencing burnout and quitting at an alarming rate. I read a 2021 Barna study that reported that 38% of pastors during COVID seriously considered quitting the ministry because of the added stress that they were feeling. And I know that that issue was not just an issue that was solely pastors dealing with it. It was a widespread issue. Depression and anxiety rates were soaring, especially in young people. And life was hard. Ministry was hard. And if I'm being completely honest with you, worshiping God was hard. And I'm going to say this again. If we allow our circumstances to determine our worship, then what happens when things take a turn for the worst? Our worship ceases to happen. We blame God for not taking care of us the way we think he should. We blame God, we forget the promises that he has for us, and we get caught up in the middle of our circumstances, and there's seemingly no end in sight. So what does it look like to praise God even in the midst of our struggles? There's a really great example of this in the book of Acts, if you'll look at that with me for a second in Acts chapter 16. Starting in verse 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, this is Paul and Silas, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into the stocks. Now I want to pause right there. If you were here with us last week, um, I gave you a little bit of background about Paul And this section that we just read today falls right before the section that we talked about last week. And if you remember, we talked about how Paul's conversion, where he met Jesus on the side of the road and turned from being a persecutor and killer of Christians to one that was preaching Christ. After Paul's conversion, he was commissioned for ministry, and things were going pretty well. He was traveling around preaching to both Jews and Gentiles, and people were being saved and following Jesus. Paul was able to perform miraculous healings, and he was also instrumental in convincing the council in Jerusalem that Gentiles should not be forced to follow all of the Jewish customs, mainly circumcision, in order to be true believers. And here at the beginning of this section, we see more good things happening to Paul. He's traveling around, and apparently he's developed quite a reputation because this little girl that was filled with this demon was following them and proclaiming These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. I mean, that's good news, right? She did that day after day, and then Paul got a little annoyed, so he yelled to the demon and said, come out in the name of Jesus Christ, and it did. And then that's where things kind of turned. They healed this young girl who was possessed by a spirit, and they were doing all these good things in the name of Jesus. But in this case, people were not very appreciative. The verses we read said that the girl's owners were mad because Paul had driven out the spirit, and because of that, they were out of a lot of money because they used this girl to predict people's future and get money out of it, and they had just lost out on a large source of income. So they were ticked off, and they grabbed Paul and Silas, and they took them before the city officials, and they tried to create this uproar saying, these people are causing a stir in the city, and they're teaching things that we should not be teaching And so they took Paul and Silas, and they were ordered to be stripped and beaten with rods and thrown into prison. One minute, they're preaching Jesus and healing people, and the next minute, they're being stripped and beaten and thrown in, in prison. Now, I want to pause right here for just a minute. None of the circumstances that I have ever faced in my life compare even a little bit to what they just went through. I've never been pulled out before the city officials and stripped and beaten by wooden rods and then thrown into prison. But that's what happened to them. I've experienced hard times in my life, nothing to that extreme. And I can tell you in the middle of the things that I've dealt with, there were times in my life where when I was in the middle of those hard times, the last thing I wanted to do was praise God because I was caught in the middle of my own circumstances trying to figure things out, trying to see how there was even an end to what I was going through. And I forgot about what God had done in my life in the past and the promise that he had for my future. The last thing I wanted to do was sing praises to God in that moment. But it's in those moments that we probably need to do it the most. I'll give you another example. We were sitting at dinner the other night, and my son, AJ, was kind of having a rough time. Uh, Jen this morning said that he has all of the emotions, and he does, but he was having a rough time, and we asked him to pray before the meal, and he said these words, I don't feel like praying right now. And without missing a beat, my wife, Megan, said, that's probably the reason why you need to pray the most. And I think that's so true. Like in our lowest points, that's the time when we need to remember God the most and praise God the most and remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. So, what did Paul and Silas do when they were in prison? Look at verse 25 with me. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. So, we just talked about how they were beaten. Well, first stripped, beaten with wooden rods, and then thrown into prison. And instead of sitting there and moping and saying, Why, God, did you throw me into prison? Let's read that again. This is what they did. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And then I love what it says right after that. Who was listening? The other prisoners. They prayed and sang hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. Do you ever look back on your life and realize that God was working even when you didn't see it? I just told you a story about how hard my 2020 was and I know that I've heard John talk about how 2020 was a blur and I know that many of you sitting in this room and watching online could probably say the exact same thing. We've all experienced that in our own ways And in 2020, one of the things that was right, one of my circumstances was I was trying to finish up my master's degree through Hope International University, and that was completely online. And I was taking a class that was all about leading small groups through different spiritual disciplines. And we went through extended sessions of prayer, fasting, scripture meditation, silence and solitude, and singing. And I'll be honest with you, in the middle of 2020, like that was really hard, (laughs) But what I looked back on and noticed was that there was a common theme that stuck out to me through that class. And that was the need for me personally to take the focus off of myself, because that's what I was doing. I was so focused on how. 2020 and COVID and all of these things were affecting me and how it was making my life harder and how I had to figure out all of these different ways of doing ministry. And my focus was not on God. My focus was not as much on other people, but it was all on me. And it hit me at, towards the end of that class that I need to take the focus off of me and put the focus where it belongs, on God. So I made that mental flip in my mind, and when I focused on God, somehow, all of the troubles that I was so focused on in the past just kind of seemed to wash away in that moment, and I was able to worship God because of who he was, because he was good all the time, not just when my circumstances say that he's good, all the time. So how were Paul and Silas able to worship God in spite of their troubles, in spite of being beaten and thrown in prison? I believe that it's because God continues to work, even when we don't notice it. Let's look back at verse 26. Just after they were praying and singing hymns to God, this is what happened. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed." The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said that you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. So Paul and Silas trusted God throughout it all. Nothing in their worship, nothing in their praise to God changed from when times were good for them to when times were bad. They never stopped praising and proclaiming him. And look at what happened. God showed up. The jailer and his family were saved and they were released from prison. I think a lot of times what happens to us as humans is we get so caught up in our circumstances that we forget to see or we fail to see the big picture. We fail to see the the master plan that God has. And that He can take a seemingly horrible situation and work it out for good. And we get so focused on the moment that we miss out on the big picture. And I think looking back on 2020, one of the things that was most helpful for me and for my family was just sitting in our living room and singing praise songs. Some of the best memories that I have from that year are doing just that. And there are a few that stick out to me. And we sang both of them this morning, actually. Another in the fire, and yes, I will. You see, for me, in the middle of the hard that I was experiencing, like I just said, the thing that I needed to do was put the focus where it belonged, on God. And to realize, like it says in another in the fire, there was another in the fire, there is another in the fire, there will be another in the fire, standing next to me, in the middle of the hard that we experience, Jesus is there. He doesn't just promise to, to be there at the end when we get through those circumstances. He promises to be there with us, in the middle of those circumstances. Jesus is with us, and because of that, we can sing words like the ones that we sang this morning, and yes, I will. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. Not just when I'm happy. Every single day. And I needed those songs. I needed those songs to remind me of who God was and what he's done for me. To remind me of the promises that he has given me in his word. Those songs reminded me that God was still a good God in the midst of my heart. And I can remember many more examples where I'm able to look back at my life and see the ways that God was working even when I didn't see it because I was too distracted by the circumstances that I found myself in. And that doesn't mean that things are going to be easy. You remember David that we talked about earlier? I listed a lot of cool things that happened in his life, how he killed Goliath and lions and bears and how he was chosen to be king. Here's another list of David. His best friend's dad, who was also the king of Israel that he was supposed to replace, hunted him down and tried to kill him on multiple occasions. David committed adultery with another woman, and then he had that woman's husband, who was serving in his army, sent to the front line so that that man was killed. David had his struggles that were self-inflicted, and he had his struggles that were completely out of his control. But yet, as I mentioned earlier, he was still called a man after God's own heart. If you've been following along with our Bible reading plan that's been taking us through Psalms, as I was reading that this last week, I found Psalm 6, and I love what the Bible reading plan said about that Psalm. It said, as we read these Psalms, we have, which have such heavy words, our reactions may be very different. You may find them confronting because the level of emotion spoken about is not something that you've ever felt. Or you may find them confronting because the language of weeping in your bed is all too close to home for you. Either way, there are two things we must see. First, this is a model for prayer. We are emotional people who experienced a range of emotions like fear, anger, sadness, joy, happiness, and much more. We learn from Psalms like this that God doesn't want just your unhappy or just your happy prayers. He wants prayers that reflect your heart. God wants the real you, vulnerable and true, laid out before him in prayer, and he will meet you there. Second, even in the midst of this severe emotion, we see a proclamation of our saving God. Bookending this psalm is verses 1 and 2 with David calling for mercy, and then verses 9 and 10 as David concludes by proclaiming that God has heard and answered his prayer. Even when you feel like everything is falling apart, And broken, you can find assurance that our God loves us and he loves to show mercy and to forgive. When all feels inconsistent and broken, his love is there. As you live through emotions, hear the invitation to pour your heart out at God's feet. This is Psalm 6. Oh Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love, for the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from that grave? I am worn out from sobbing. All night I fled my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. See, worshiping God requires trust trust that God is still there even when we can't see him or when we feel like he's not. We just read in that psalm, all of the emotions, weeping in your bed, being blinded by grief, but at the beginning and the end, what did they say? God hears my prayers, God is there for me and I will praise God. We need to trust that God's is still there even when we doubt, even when we can't feel him, or even when things are hard. And trust that he continues to work even when we can't see it, or even when we feel a are questioning how he could ever redeem a situation. Trust that he is worthy of our praise even when we don't feel like giving it to him. And I know that the reality is that there are probably people in this room and watching online that are in the middle of a similar situation right now where we don't feel like God is there and we don't feel like worshiping him. But as we close our time together, I just want to leave us with a little encouragement to take heart, have courage, stand firm, stand firm, Make the conscious decision to praise God in the midst of all of the circumstances that we find ourselves in because we're not alone even though we often feel like it. And I want to encourage you to remind yourself of all the ways that God has brought you out of the chaos before and hold on the promise that he is going to do it again. Listen to the promise that he has for us in John sixteen thirty three. Jesus says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus never promised that everything was going to be easy. In fact, right there we see he promises the exact opposite. He said, In this world, you will have trouble but take heart because I have overcome the world. I wanna invite you to go ahead and take out your communion elements at this time. And we're gonna do things a little bit different today. Instead of me leading you through taking the the bread and the cup, I just kinda wanna set the scene for us and then give you some space to respond to God in that way. In just a minute, Becky's gonna sing another song. And during that song, whenever you feel comfortable, go ahead and take your bread and your cup and partake of the communion elements. But I want to set the stage for us. That verse that we just read says that I have overcome, and that's Jesus talking. Jesus has already overcome. He did that by paying the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. There's an old song that says he could have sent... 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And there was a moment before Jesus was arrested where he was in the garden praying and kind of the gravity of that situation that he was about to go through hit him. And he cried out to God and he said, God, if there's any other way for you to take this cup from me, let it be. In that moment, the gravity of everything hit him. And he asked God, if there's any other way. But then he saw the big picture too. And right after that, he said, but not my will, your will be done. Yes, in reality, he could have called 10,000 angels, but Christ was obedient to the Father's will and he chose to go to the cross for you and me. Jesus was willing to take on all of my sin and my shame and all of your sin and your shame and give us the ultimate hope that we can have. The hope that no matter what we go through on this earth, We have a promise that Jesus has already won the war and sin and death are no more. And we look forward to the promise of eternal life that he has given us to be free of all the junk that we deal with on a daily basis. That is how we can praise God in the middle of the hard times. Because we know who ultimately wins and we have heaven to look forward to. And because of all that, we can confidently say that God is good all the time. God is good and he is always worthy of our praise. Let me pray. Father, you are good all the time. But reality tells me that when I'm in the middle of hard times, it's, it can be hard to focus on that fact that you are good. So God, I pray for those of us in this room tonight and those of us that are watching online, that you would just remind us constantly of who you are and that you are God, that you are good, and that you never change, and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we thank you for the, the many ways that you've provided us to come back to you, and eventually the ultimate way through sending Jesus down to die a death that he didn't deserve, to give us life that we don't deserve. Father, help us to keep our focus and our trust in you during all of the hard that we go through. And Father, as we remember that sacrifice that Christ made for us during this time, I pray that you would help us to focus on that and the promise that we have that because of Jesus dying for us on the cross, we have the hope and the promise of eternal life with you someday. So help us to focus on that during this time. In your name I pray.